Exodus chapter 30, please. Exodus chapter 30. We finally arrived at the final 10 chapters from the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse 1, if you will. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of sheet and wood shalt thou make it. Keep your hand there and go to Psalm 141. Psalm 141. Look at verse 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up as my hands as the evening sacrifice. Go back to the book of Exodus 30 verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of sheet and wood shalt thou make it. Psalm 141 says again. Let my prayer be set forth before thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So incense in the Bible is a picture of one's prayer. When I was a Catholic I used to serve mass. And I would go to the uh, 12 o'clock mass every Sunday, 12.15 to be precise. And as I was arriving at mass, the 11 o'clock mass had just finished. And the 11 o'clock mass was the Tridentine mass. Not the full blown Tridentine, but the abridged Tridentine, which was rehashed, uh, redesigned, I suppose, or reconfigured after Vatican II. Yeah. And part of the Tridentine mass was incense. The chief altar boy, I forget what they called him, and he would wave the yeah. incense around and you could smell it yeah. and it would stay in the air for a long period of time and they were very proud of that and of course if you think of the old testament which we're looking at this morning or if you are a catholic or if you've ever been a catholic or if you ever spent any time thinking about the mass you know that incense played a big part of the tridentine mass there's no need for it it's obsolete basically the church of rome are trying to Continue something which the Lord has cancelled out. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Incense upon. Of sheetum wood shalt thou make it. Sheetum, acacia or acacia, a form of tree, of course. And one more time from Psalm 141. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense. Lord, hear my prayer. May my prayer be like incense. May it smell nice. May it please you. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. I'll give you one more. Go to Revelation chapter 8. And every Sunday I would arrive at Mass, like I say, many times with Patrick, but not always. And they'd be leaving after the Tridentine. And we'd be arriving for the uh, 1215 Mass. Of course, those that went to the 11 o'clock Mass were diehards, I suppose, aficionados. They enjoyed the old traditional Tridentine Mass. Of course, the old Mass was in Latin. The priest would stand with his back to the congregation. Always be mindful of this, that if you go back to the Middle Ages, your average Catholic didn't know Latin, obviously, could barely read or write. And here you have a system of priests speaking in Latin, a governmental language, going back to Pontius Pilate, of course. And you've got papists sitting in the pews, listening to priests performing the Mass in Latin. They had no idea what was being said. Your average Catholic... 1200, 1300, 1400, 1500, could barely read or write in English, let alone a Latin. Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8, look at verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar, stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So Catholics will say, well, there you are, you see, it's in the New Testament. It must be so, and of course they completely asegeet. The book of Revelation, what I've just read to you, is taking place in heaven, not on the earth. There's a temple, there's a tabernacle in heaven, not just on the earth. And yes, in the tribulation, the third temple goes up, Revelation 11. But for now, our bodies 
of the temple, tabernacle of Almighty God. One more time. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Go back to the book of Exodus. Only one person in the New Testament is connected with incense. That of course is Cornelius, book of Acts. But Cornelius was a proselyte. Technically he was a Jew. And when he was praying to Jehovah, Acts 10 is it? The temple is still up. By 70 AD the temple has been demolished. It's gone down. There's no need for a temple. Going back to the Church of Rome, let's resurrect it. Let's fix the rip in the veil. Going back to Matthew 27, the high priests would say, well, we can't allow this rip to remain. If it remains, it suggests that God isn't going to receive our sacrifices any longer. Get some masking tape, duct tape, sellotape, whatever you call it, and put that veil back together. And that's what they did. And that's why Paul wrote an entire epistle called Galatians against those that would seek to demolish faith in Christ alone. One more time. 30 verse 1. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of sheet and wood shalt thou make it. So the altar is pictured as being partly made up of wood. The Lord Jesus Christ would carry his cross around Israel, not a tree per se. If you think of the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe that he died on a tree. And they take uh, Galatians chapter 3 out of context. Asegesis. Yes, he died a cursed death. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But he didn't die in a tree per se. That's a Hebrew idiom. A cursed death like Absalom. Even Abel died a cursed death basically back in Genesis. Cut down in his prime. A good man. But Absalom of course was a bad man. So Absalom is a good example of somebody dying a cursed death. Judas died a cursed death. King Saul died a cursed death. But Jesus Christ wasn't literally nailed to a tree per se. And incidentally I need to correct myself. Some weeks ago I said that Noah's Ark was made using... Uh, Sheet and wood or cassia wood. I think I said a cassia wood. I was incorrect. It's gopher wood. Big difference. But nonetheless, I have to correct myself if mistakes are made. So Noah's Ark was made using a gopher wood. Not sheet and wood or cassia or cassia wood. 30 verse 2. A cubit shall be the length thereof and a cubit the breadth thereof. Four square shall it be and two cubits. And two cubits shall be the height thereof. The horns thereof shall be of the same. Back to cubits again. So one cubit is one and a half feet in reference to the length of the altar and a cubit in reference to the breadth, like the width thereof. So it's one and a half feet by one and a half feet, four square. There's four points to it. This rectangular object denoting north, east, south, west. There's four parts to the Lord's kingdom, if you will. Revelation chapter seven speaks about the four winds of the earth and people like to mock the Bible. And they say, there you are, you see God sees the earth or the writers of the bible see the earth as being flat again a hebrew idiom north east south west there's four points to our world the royal navy covers the four points of the earth british soldiers are stationed on the four corners of the earth not literal corners you understand but four points four areas and two cubits two cubits is three foot three feet and two cubits shall be the height thereof the horns shall be of the same Look at verse 3. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof, roundabouts, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make it upon a crown of gold, roundabout. Crown of gold. Put a crown on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
crown him, king of kings, lord of lords, god of gods. And here, you've got a crown connected with the tabernacle. You've got a crown connected with the altar. You've got a crown connected with Israel. Verse 4. And two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it. By the two corners thereof, upon the two sides of it, shalt thou make it. And they shall be for plates for the staves to bear it withal, staves like narrow pieces of timber. Going back to Matthew chapter 7, how the entrance to heaven is narrow. A few there be that find it. Uh, 5. And thou shalt make the staves of sheet and wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. So it's to do with a testimony, it's to do with the tabernacle, mercy seat, it's to do with a sacrifice, it's to do with blood. And one more time, if you think of a religion that has no blood connected to it, it is a worthless religion. The Church of Rome liked to overplay John chapter 6. I mentioned this many times over the last 22 months, if not 17 years since I got saved. Whereas the Church of Rome liked to underplay the sufficiency, the efficacy, the necessity of the blood of Christ. Mercy seat. Now we need mercy today. If we are saved, for those of us which are saved, if you are saved, you know that you need mercy each and every day. You may wake up one morning, like today, feeling rough, like today, and need the Lord's mercy to get through a live Lord's Day service. You may wake up one morning and feel pretty sick, pretty awful. You may feel very heavy. You may have to witness to unsaved family and friends. You may have to go door to door in your street, speak to your neighbours. You may feel really convicted. You may need mercy uh, to do with your state. You might be out of fellowship with the Lord. And as a result, you need mercy from the Lord. And here, mercy seats is connected with the priest interceding on behalf of the people. One of the biggest problems that we have with this ministry is trying to get people to realise they don't need a priest any longer. Our priest is in heaven, and if you get that clear in your minds, you will never go astray. Keep your hand there and go to Hebrews chapter 7. People, for the most part, and I speak with 17 years of experience, like to first of all be a part of a system part of something that's human nature of course you are the part of the family of Abel Genesis chapter 4 or you are part of the family of Cain Genesis chapter 4 uh, Hebrews chapter 7 Hebrews chapter 7 look at verse 25 wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them you won't beat that with a stick I don't care if you are Catholic or Protestant or Hindu or Sikh or Freemason or Muslim or a Jew, if you are a vegan or a vegetarian or a meat eater, you won't beat this with a stick. One more time. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, mediator, seeing he, the Lord Jesus Christ, ever liveth, ever liveth, to make intercession for them. First John chapter 1 says he is eternal life. We've seen him, we've touched him, we've tasted him, we've handled him. We know that we saw the living word of God. 26. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Who can you think? Who would you offer? Who would you suggest could come anywhere near this? Think about it. Who could come anywhere near this? What God do you worship? In this country, the number one God is self. I worship myself. I believe in myself. But are you higher than the heavens? No. Are you harmless? No. Are you holy? No. Are you separate from sinners? No. Wasn't Muhammad told seven times to repent? I believe he was. Look at verse 27. Who needeth not daily, as those high priests, to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's, 
For this he did once when he offered up himself. Once, once, once. Why did he go to Mass? Why do you crucify him afresh? I'm ashamed of myself sometimes when I look back on my years as a Catholic. Of course, I didn't know any better. Paul said he was the chief of sinners. I am, he said, the chief of sinners, present tense. I did it in ignorance. John 16 says they will pretty much kill you and think they are doing God a service. John 16. And here you have Catholics all over the world in Mass today on their knees, watching the priest crucify Christ afresh. Count me out. For this he did once, 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 when he offered up himself. For the law maketh men high priests, which have infirmity, old men, Adamic nature. But the word of the oath, which was since the law, maketh a son who is consecrated forevermore. Go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse 7. And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning. When he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. Every morning, start your day in prayer. Every day, conclude your day in prayer. Start the day in prayer. Finish it with prayer. And here, lamps, picturing the word of God. If you can, start the day reading scripture. Close it with scripture. Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense. A sweet-smelling savour well-pleasing unto the Lord. Every morning, when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And again, you've got three parts. You've got the table, you've got the candlestick and the altar. At least three parts to the tabernacle, not the temple. The temple would come unto Solomon. This is the tabernacle. This is the beginning of Israel's worship service, if you will. Vessels, instruments, utensils, a physical priesthood, a physical altar, Physical lamps, physical altars, physical animals. Today it's all spiritual. And that's one of the reasons why I think so many people are going to perish. Matthew seven twenty-one to 23, they're going to perish. Because for some reason, Jesus Christ isn't enough for them. They need to be a part of, an, of a religious organization. I'll go back to the Tridenti Mass one more time. It was always well attended. People from London would go to this church to see the priest perform the Tridentine. Not with his back to the church, incidentally he would face the church, but the real Tridentine Mass was twice as long as the abridged Tridentine Mass. This Mass would be in English, the old one was in Latin. And people took it very seriously on their knees when the uh, incense was waved around. And of course only the priest could consecrate the wafer. You may be a Eucharistic minister, I know Patrick was offered that as a Catholic, to be a Eucharistic minister, only the best Catholics were offered that. But what your average Catholic cannot do is consecrate the wafer. Only the priests can do that. Nuns cannot do that. Only priests can do that. But it's not necessary. It's a pantomime. It's a blasphemy. And unfortunately it has deceived so many people. 8. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, evening, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So to be fair to an average Catholic, and I don't want to pick on the Catholics, but as far as I know, the JWs don't have incense, or Mormons, as a part of their service. Uh, the Muslims don't have incense, as far as I know, as a part of their service. But the Catholics do. The Tridentine crowd especially. So if you are a typical Catholic, and you occasionally read the Bible, or you find people online, or you are exposed to somebody somewhere reading the Bible, could be the book of Exodus, many times they read it out of context. And I see this all the time. A verse without a context is a pretext. Put it this way. Take the Pauline epistles out of your New Testament. What have you got? You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Let's say you are a typical Protestant, a typical Catholic. 
and you come across Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, Matthew 8. They all love those verses, those chapters from the book of Matthew, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. An average Catholic, Protestants, man in the street would read that and think that he can go to heaven by observing Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8. He can't go to heaven observing Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8. He doesn't realize that Matthew 5, 6, 7, 8 is in reference to the thousand year reign, the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't know that. He hasn't been taught that. And he thinks that by being a peaceful person, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful, so on and so forth, he thinks that being such a person, being such a way, he's going to make it to heaven. He won't. He will perish. Knock out the Pauline epistles, what have you got? You've got a Jewish New Testament. 80% of the Gospels concern Jesus Christ, obviously speaking to the Jews under the law. They've got a temple. Matthew 6 says if you, make that Matthew 5, if you bring a gift to the altar and you've got something against your brother, go back and deal with him. It says in Matthew 5, if you are angry and call your brother Raka, you're guilty of hell fire. A physical temple, animal sacrifice didn't play. A Jew reading Matthew's gospel, 30, 40, 50, 60 AD, has a temple to look to. 70 AD, there's no temple. The point is this, take the Pauline epistles out to the New Testament, what have you got? You've got a Jewish message for the most part, but no blood atonement, no explicit blood atonement. And that's why your average Catholic doesn't spend any time reading the Pauline epistles, like Romans, Ephesians, Galatians, and your average Protestant isn't much better either. Look at verse nine. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. Strange fire, strange incense, going back to a formalistic type of worship, like let's all pray the Hail Mary, let's all do the Novena, let's all pray the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer should, also, should actually be called the Disciples' Prayer, first of all. And the Hail Mary, although part of that is found in your New Testament, the second half is not. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for us in his now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Where's that found in the Bible? Blasphemy. It's blasphemy. Was she the mother of God? Well, yes and no. Jesus Christ, of course, is God. But mother of God? Denoting his divinity, his deity. She was the mother of his human nature. Yeah. Not his divine nature. He has a father in heaven, obviously. God the Father. She was his biological mother. Incidentally, she calls herself a handmaiden of the Lord. Paul says how we've all sinned. It comes short to the glory of God. One more time. Ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering. Neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. Strange fire, if you think of Aaron's sons, resulted in both of his sons being cut down. And it's my belief that one of the reasons why they were cut down was because they were intoxicated. It comes down to this basically, that God must be the object of worship. Always start with that point. God must be the object of worship. Christ, the ground and the material of worship. And the Holy Ghost, the power of worship. Father, Son and Spirit. No Mary, no Mass, no priest, no Protestant, no nothing. God is the object. Christ is the material. Holy Ghost is the power. Anything else is strange fire. Go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Some years ago, we spoke to an ex-Catholic who got saved. And he went to a church not far from here. And uh, we got talking to him. Nice chap. And uh, he'd been going to this church for maybe a few Sundays. Evangelical church. Non-King James, I'm afraid to say. And uh, he went to the Sunday service, obviously, where they, where they break their bread as we do. And uh, he got a little bit upset during the communion service. And he turned around and spoke to one of the brothers that we know. 
And he said to this brother in question, he said, I feel very convicted. And the brother said to him, what's the problem? He said, well, we're going to take the bread in a moment. We're going to remember the Lord's sacrifice on the cross, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, make that 11. 1 Corinthians 11 says we should do it regularly and we should confess our sins before we take of the bread. I feel convicted. And he said, why is that? He said, well, isn't it the literal body of Christ? And this brother, this Protestant said, no, it's not the literal body of the Lord Jesus Christ. A man cannot make God. It's symbolic. It's figurative. And I thought, why didn't anybody explain that to him? An oversight, I suppose. Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews fits very well, incidentally, with Leviticus, but also with Exodus. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 22. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Without shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins, basically. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves are better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Again, you can't beat this. And I challenge any Catholic, if he or she would sit down and read Hebrews with an open mind, to improve on what the writer is telling you one more time. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. Again, the tabernacle on the earth, the temple on the earth, was a replica of what took place in heaven, what was taking place in heaven. Going back to Revelation 8. Altar, angel, putting incense on the altar on behalf of the saints. And also from Revelation chapter 8, you got tribulation saints, Jewish tribulation saints, praying to Jehovah, third temple. But your average Christian doesn't know this. Patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices for these. Better than Moses, better than Solomon, better than Aaron, better than Melchizedek, better than this, better than that. This book really elevates the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ, verse 24, is not entered into the holy places made with hands, like the tabernacle, like the testimony, which we are reading about this morning, which are the figures, types of the true. Again, going back to what happens on earth or what you bound what you bind whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven where two or three of you meet in my name i am there but on top of that if you agree on if you agree if you agree anything if you agree anything in my name it is agreed in heaven talk about a three four-dimensional world northeast southwest which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself third heaven now, right now, to appear in the presence of God, being the Father for us. Go back to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter, uh, look at 9 again. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering. If it's not in the heart, don't bother. Neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. Reciting prayers isn't going to help you. Having a tick list isn't going to help you out. There was a scandal a few weeks ago, a female preacheress, I shan't name her, Gave an interview and she said this. Well I'm Trinitarian. Why am I being attacked? I'm not a part of the cult system. Who cares if you're a Trinitarian or not? Over in James it says the devils believe in one God. And they tremble. Just because you are a Trinitarian. That doesn't mean anything. Just because you believe in one God. Like the demons. Doesn't mean anything. Islam believe in one God. So what? The Jews believe in one God. So what? The Catholics believe in one God. So what? Faith without works is dead. That's what James is all about. And here it's the same sort of a thing. Strange incense. 
Both Aaron's sons, strange fire, intoxicated, stumbled into the tabernacle, went through the rituals, and it was an abomination to the Lord. I remember years ago hearing a story from Patrick about a elderly Catholic uh, couple in our old church. They had an old, they had a son who came to them very late in life, and he was a heavy, heavy drinker, alcoholic. Most Catholics are, and I'm not slandering Catholics when I say that. If you're not a Catholic, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? Your average Christian doesn't know much about the Church of Rome. I was raised in that system. Your average priest is an alcoholic. Your average Catholic is a heavy drinker and smoker. And on one occasion, this guy arrived late for Mass, and he staggered into the church, heavily intoxicated, and uh, a conversation took place between Patrick and this gentleman. And basically, he had to turn up to tell his parents that he'd been to Mass. And he said to Patrick, uh, I missed last week, who... Who said uh, Mass at six o'clock last Sunday? And Pat said, oh, his father such and such. Oh, that's okay. He said, I'll tell my parents that. Yeah. That's the sort of thing that really gets up the nose of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at it this way, when Christ came the first time, he speaks to Israel. And what he says is basically this, that you guys have got it all wrong. Your fathers have got it all wrong. And your father's fathers have got it all wrong. Now, imagine somebody coming up to you and saying to you that you've got it all wrong. Back in the 1970s, Sinatra had a recording session one night, and he went to the studio in California. This guy had been recording for 40 years, worked with the best stars, probably the greatest singer of all time. And he arrived at the studio one night, late 1970s, went to the studio, got the music out. They called them charts, and he's got the music score, and he's got all the top orchestrators there, the top conductors, composers, so on and so forth, top producers, musicians, engineers, does the recording, goes home 24 hours later he gets a phone call and the phone call goes along the lines of this hi frank it's such and such i forget the composer's name or the orchestrator's name uh, i've just listened to the recording that you guys did last night it's in the wrong key silence what yes you've recorded it in the wrong key you've got to do it all over again and here's a man who's been on stage since the 1930s worked with all the top stars says to this guy forget it let it go out in the wrong key no he doesn't say that 24 hours later, he's back in that studio, re-recording it in the correct key. That's what Christ had against the Jews. He says, well, the scripture says this, but you say it says that. Or the scripture says this, but you do that. You guys are wrong. Your fathers are wrong. And that's why so many Jews the first time wouldn't receive him. They wouldn't take the correction. Nobody wants to be corrected. Nobody wants to be told they are wrong. And if your religion is wrong, if it's worthless, if it's bloodless, God will condemn you. It goes back to Cain and Abel one more time. Cain's religion was carnal, fleshly, basically cheap fruit, whereas his brother, Abel, was blood, a lamb. Going back to, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Look at verse 10. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it, once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in a year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. Atonement at one month. Atonements, a covering. Now, when we speak about religion, and I do this every Sunday and at the pulpit and elsewhere, basically you've got two religions. Basically it comes down to just two, not 20,000, 30,000, that's a red herring. Two religions. One is blood, one is flesh. One is you working with deity, the other one is deity working for you. Christ comes down from heaven. That's what First uh, Corinthians says, the Lord from heaven. John chapter 3 speaks about Christ being Sent from heaven, obviously, not given the Spirit by measure. I mean, talk about power. God Almighty coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, dies on a 
wooden cross. Shetum, or Cassia, if you will, not on a tree, a cursed death, dies in our place. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You can't beat that with a stick. I don't care who you are, where you are. And I'll say this until the day I die. Whatever faith you have, whatever religion you have, if it's not based on blood, like God's blood, Acts chapter 20, God's blood went through the, uh, the veins of Jesus Christ. His blood went through the veins of the Lord Jesus Christ. If your religion isn't based on that, you're lost. You're lost. And you deserve to be lost. Because he's done everything for you to save you. Aaron shall make an atonement at one month. An atonement between God and man. Old Testament, it was done by the priest system. New Testament, and I've shown it to you. Hebrews 7, it's done, past tense, via the priest of priests, the high priest. It's been done for you. But people don't like to think of that, do they? People want to continue to be part of a system with the hope, anticipation, it will go in their favour, the judgment, and it won't. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year, day of atonement, Yom Kippur, with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Your average Jew, if he is religious, has a problem now. He's got a quandary. What does he do? He has no priest system, and yet every year, devout Jews meet up, day of atonement, Yom Kippur, to... Ask God to forgive them. And they think by asking him to forgive them, he will forgive them. He won't forgive them. Based on what? They have no priest system. They have no animal system. They have no temple. They have no system whatsoever. And they say, well, over in, uh, uh, in Nineveh, Jonah, that's it, Jonah. Jonah preaches to the Ninevites. And they turn, to the, they turn to the Lord in faith. Faith, but they're Gentiles. Jews have a different covenant. Exodus chapter 19. And their covenant is via a priest slash altar slash animal sacrifice system that's now kaput it's finished it's obsolete it's done and dusted christ was saying on the cross it is finished it is done mission accomplished so your average jew has a problem doesn't he what's he going to do what can he do rejects jesus we shan't have this man to reign over us goes to the local synagogue once a year and hopes that the rabbi and you were told to call no man rabbi matthew 23 call no man rabbi call no man father call no man master and yet freemasons call themselves master mason master mason catholics call their priests father jews even messianic jews call their teachers rabbi you're told not to do that call no man rabbi father master and yet that's what they do they have no way to be saved once in a year with the blood with the blood with the blood by his precious blood we are healed with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonements upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy. Not just holy. It is most holy unto the Lord. Because the blood that is being sacrificed is a picture of Christ's blood. The precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll say one final thing and close. That what you've got is a bloody book. And I say that reverentially, not in a loose way. This is a bloody book. People shed their blood for this book. Jesus Christ shed his blood for our salvation. If your faith, if your religion has no blood attached to it, if it's literally praying in a circle like the Quakers do, or other so-called Christian groups, it is worthless. Also, the ashes that would be seen once the animal had been uh, sacrificed picture our sins. And I'll discuss that more next week. Exodus chapter 30 Exodus chapter 30, look at verse 11, please. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, And the Lord spake unto Messiah, saying, 
When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. The term ransom and atonement are used interchangeably. Keep your hand there and go to Matthew chapter 5. Your average Catholic thinks that if they pay enough money upon death, they will escape purgatory. Uh, your average Protestant is indifferent to such a belief. It's one of the most grievous heresies that ex-Catholics have to deal with. The belief that one can pay their way out of purgatory. And when they hit verses like 30.12, which I'll read again. When thou takest a sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord, when thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. And they hit those verses and say, well, there you are, you see. We can pay to get our loved ones out of purgatory. It's their biggest earner, a term we use in the UK. It's a nice little earner, bit of slang, but that's what they like to say when they read Exodus chapter 30. Let me say this also, that if you read the Catholic Church's Catechism, and I got it on my bookshelf from 1994, they quote the Bible probably five or six, seven or eight thousand times. They quote the Bible inside out. Don't think they don't, they do. But they quote the Bible out of context. If you think of Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, when the devil is speaking to the Lord, he quotes scripture. He quotes scripture, but he quotes it out of context. Your average Catholic doesn't read the Bible, doesn't care what the Bible says. Your average Protestant isn't much better either. So they hit Exodus chapter 30, like verses 11 and 12, and they sort of clap their hands and say, well, there you are, you see. You can pay, you can pay. We can pay our priests and we can get out of purgatory. Of course, purgatory does not exist. But Matthew chapter 5 is another place I'd like to go to. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 23. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar... And there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. And they say prison is purgatory. Ridiculous. But they believe it. You got a literal altar, verse 23. Verse 24, you've got a literal gift, like an animal. Verse 23, verse 24, a verse without a context as a pretext, of course. Look at 25 again. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison, not purgatory, prison. On top of that, this is a parable. It's figurative language, but keep reading. Verily I say unto you, verse 26, Verily I say unto you, listen to me, Verily I say unto you, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. And that's the verse they go to, to quote their purgatory, heresy. But of course it has nothing to do with purgatory. It's in reference to physical animal sacrifices. Don't bring a physical animal sacrifice to the Lord via the temple. And here, Herod's temple if there's unfinished business between brothers. Go back to the book of Exodus. Look at verse 12 again. When thou takest the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom and atonement for his soul unto the Lord. When thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them, when thou numberest them. David on one occasion would number the children of Israel. It says how the Lord told him to do so and how the devil told him to do so. And 
biblical critics like to suggest a contradiction. There's no contradiction. The Lord used the devil to tempt David. Count your people. How many men do you have? How powerful are you? When countries fall back on their military might, they're not trusting in the Lord. And that's why David got into such a spin. Look at verse 13. This they shall give. Every one that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty geras, and half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Every one that passeth among them that are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. A shekel is sixty-four cents if you are an American. A shekel is fifty pence if you are a Brit. And a shekel is around half a euro if you use the euro in continental Europe, of course. So half a shekel is 25 pence or 32 cents. Basically, as I say, it's a census tax, temple tax. It's income tax. At best, at best, it could be in reference to one's physical salvation, but not eternal salvation. Matthew chapter 5, the Jews are under the law, temple is still up, animal sacrifices are being conducted day and night. The whole point of Matthew chapter 5, not to mention chapter 6, chapter 7, is what will take place during a thousand year reign. During a thousand year reign, if you say to your brother, you are a fool, you are guilty, or you are in danger of hellfire. The Apostle Paul would call the Galatians fools. Was he in danger of hellfire? Well, of course not. Get the verse in the right place. Don't mess around with the context. If you've got the Catholic Catechism, like I say, from 94, and I've got it on my bookshelf, it quotes the Bible many, many times. Thousands of times. But if you take the time to check the references that they quote, nine times out of ten, those verses are out of context. Thirteen again. This they shall give. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. This they shall give. Every one that passeth among them that are numbered. Half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. Temple tax. A shekel is twenty geras. And half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. At most it's 64 cents, 50 pence, half a euro. Cut it in half, you've got 25 pence, 32 cents. But it was compulsory for the upkeep, the maintenance of the sanctuary. 14. Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above. Another condition, 20 years old and above. Shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement, a ransom for your souls. Pay up, keep the temple, and here it's a sanctuary, up and running. One of the reasons why so many ministries collapse is because too few people support such ministries. I've heard sermons over the years from most denominational preachers, and they all say the same thing, that the minority... In any church, the minority in any ministry are the ones that give the most. 95% give nothing. They take, but they don't give. It's that 5% that allow the churches or the ministries to run. If you go back to the 1980s, an infamous Catholic archbishop by the name of Marcinkus would say this, that the church, in reference to the Church of Rome, cannot exist, cannot survive on Hail Marys alone. It needs hard currency. Of course, he was right. Not just the Catholic Church, the uh, Islam, the, the Muslims, uh, the Jews, the Buddhists, the Hindus, any religious system, the Freemasons, they all need money to survive. Of course, money is the root of all evil, so you've got to be careful with that. 16. And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel, 
and shalt appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Keep your hand there and go to Numbers 31. So, 20 years old and above, and it's my belief that this is in reference to men. Men do the heavy lifting. In Israel today, men and women both uh, go into the IDF. It's compulsory for men and women to fight for their country. It's something which they do. Uh, but in Singapore, only the boys are called to fight. And that's discriminatory, of course. A few months ago, I went swimming. It was on a Wednesday. Uh, numbers 31, Numbers 31. And I thought rather foolishly I could arrive, queue up, pay, and go in for a swim. And after queuing up for 15 minutes, getting some funny looks, I got to the cash desk and said, uh, can I have a swim, please? And the lady said to me, oh, I'm sorry, sir, it's women only today. And I was really not happy, <laughs> to put it mildly. I got myself ready, dressed, down to the pool, queued up, and I was told that it's women only, women's only time. As of right now, I remembered vaguely that they have, I think, evenings for women, mornings for women, and I think another time of the week, uh, afternoons for women. I think three times out of the week they get a slot just for themselves. And I said to the lady, this is discriminatory, discrimination. Do you know something? If you are a man in the UK, if you are, if you are a white working class man in the UK, you are discriminated. I'll tell you something else. If you are a white middle class man mm. in the UK, you are more likely to kill yourself mm. than anyone from any other background. White working class boys in this country are not represented. They are discriminated, whether you like it or not. And I said to the lady, this is discrimination. And of course, I was thinking as I was speaking to her, was it two days a week, three days a week? They give the women only the chance to swim. I couldn't remember. Then it came to me, it was three times a week. And I said to her, how many times a week are women allowed to swim in the pool just for themselves? And she lied to me. She said, it's twice a week. It's three times a week. And I said to her, how about men? Can they have their own time slot to swim? And she said to me, yes, Sunday morning. And I thought, well, that's not going to help me very much, is it, Sunday morning? And I said, this is discrimination. And it was discrimination. Numbers 31, Numbers 31. So as far as the ransom, the atonement is concerned, concerned, 20 and above, not 19, not 18. Most people that do military service, national service, starts when they are around 18. Uh, most of Europe has uh, national service. Britain doesn't. America doesn't have it. Canada, I don't think, has it. Australia, I don't know. New Zealand, I don't know. Singapore has it, but only the boys have to do the heavy lifting. That's discrimination. Russia has it. Russia has it, and I'll come to Russia in a minute. I'll tell you something else which is uh, fascinating, if not somewhat disturbing. If you look at these documentaries, or if you read about policing, for example, in the UK, or uh, those in the, in the emergency services, it's always interesting, isn't it, when you watch female police officers sent out on a shift, 12-hour shift, a very dangerous job, and, of course, most of the police in this country are not armed. And I will get to Numbers 31 shortly. And you watch some of these female police officers. Five foot three, five foot four, sent to a house to arrest a man, six foot one. It's a joke, isn't it? And you see a police officer, she could be on her own or with somebody else, struggling with a six foot one man. And I saw a clip a few nights ago, a couple of British police officers in London, of all places, on the beat, sent to arrest a woman. I thought this would be interesting. A female police officer sent to arrest a woman. She couldn't take her down. She couldn't arrest her. She couldn't put her on the floor. And her male police officer, about six foot two, probably 17 stone, 150 pounds, basically just collapsed her, put her on the floor. 
The woman couldn't do it. This is the downside. This is the ludicrousy of political correctness. Numbers 31, Numbers 31, look at verse 50. We have therefore brought an oblation for the Lord. What every man hath gotten of jewels, of gold, chains, and bracelets, rings, earrings, and tablets, to make an atonement for our souls before the Lord. So I'm going to suggest this, that this temple tax, the equivalent would be income tax today, was first and foremost for men, because Paul says how Christ is over the man, and the man is over the woman, and the woman is over the children, of course. It would be down to the men in biblical times to pay on behalf of their families, but it's down to the men to do the heavy lifting. Today, men do the heavy lifting. If you have a riot that's kicking off, you don't send female police officers to deal with a riot. You send in the heavy boys with riot shields, police dogs, weapons. Yes, it helps if the women have weapons, of course, or riot shields, or if the women can have dogs to assist them, but it's pitiful. It's pitiful to see female police officers unarmed being sent out to deal with men or even women. Your average police officer, your average female police officer can't put a guy on his backside, can't flatten him. She can't even flatten a female criminal. Going back to what I saw a few days ago. We have therefore wrought an oblation for the Lord, what every man, what every man hath gotten of jewels, of gold, chains and bracelets, rings, earrings, and tablets to make an atonement for our souls before the Lord. Go back to Exodus chapter 30. So Exodus chapter 30, like verses 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, concern the men, first and foremost, over the age of 20, paying a temple tax, income tax, not paying to get out of purgatory. That's a blasphemy. As I say, at best, it's in reference to physical salvation. Also in reference to their physical safety in battle. Numbers 31 verse 50. But your average Catholic doesn't know this. Your average Catholic doesn't even believe the Bible. The Bible says one thing. The Church of Rome says something else. What do you do? You've got a problem, haven't you? With the Church of Rome. become the mediator. They become the final authority. You've got the King James Bible. You've got the, uh, the New King James Bible. You've got the uh, NIV. You've got the Message Bible. They don't agree. What do you do? What's your final authority? You are. Your own final authority. Well, count me out. I'll stick with the King James, if I may. Uh, 30, 16 again. And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel. Ransom money for the children of Israel. Concerning, as I say, the sanctuary. Uh, verse 13. Concerning those that are 20 and above. Verse 14. And shalt appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. That it may be a memorial. Probably once a year. Well, I can't find the cross-reference for that. But a memorial is something which you do on and off. We break bread every week at this ministry. Some break bread once a month. Some do it two or three times a year. The JWs do it once a year. But nonetheless, there is a commemoration, a memorial. Unto the children of Israel, before the Lord, to make an atonement, meaning at one month, a ransom for your souls. Look at 17. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... Thou shalt also make a lava of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. So you've got this massive bronze washing pot for hands and feet, concerning the priests, of course, like work and uh, serve the Lord, or works and ways of the Lord to be cleansed. But keep reading on, 19. For Aaron and his sons 
shall wash their feet. Excuse me. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him, and to his seed throughout their generations, that they die not. That is found twice. That they die not. That they die not. Also, there are no measurements uh, concerning this massive washing pot. Go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Washing in the Old Testament was in preparation for sacrificing animals. If you are saved, you get baptized because you are saved. You don't get baptized to be saved. You get baptized because you are saved. And Matthew 22 is the only place I could think uh, to go to for the cross-reference to this. Uh, Matthew 22, Matthew 22, look at verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. There's your free will. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. This is really in reference to the marriage supper of the Lamb, but we like to use this as a picture of one's salvation. But they made light of it, didn't take it seriously, a bit like Lot's family. Lot was a carnal man, and when he told them that judgment was on way, they thought he was joking. It's a bit of a carnal Christian, lost his testimony, and he's trying to speak up, but it's too late. But they made light of it, children of Israel, and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants, and entreated them spitefully, and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies, and destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. 70 AD, of course. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. You're not worthy of it. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. Go out of Jerusalem, search high and far, or high and low. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. Bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. A wedding garment. Keep a note of that. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Paul says how every mouth will be stopped, and how the whole world, how the whole world will become guilty in the context great white throne judgment. Speechless. And then said the king to the servants, Bind him, bind him, bind him. Bind him hand and foot, and take him away. Your soul is a bodily shape, incidentally. Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Your teeth are still there. Luke 16, the rich man is in hell, in great torments. Father Abraham, send Lazarus, that he may dip his, ting in my, uh, dip his finger in my tongue. I'm in torments, so on and so forth. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Go back to Exodus. So, the priests in the Old Testament would have to wash their hands and their feet to do the works and ways of the Lord, to be cleansed. This is a serious business. 
if you are blessed to baptize somebody, you don't just rush into it, you take it seriously, you prepare for it. And for the Old Testament priest system, it was imperative that as they would sacrifice the animals or see to the table, the candlestick or the altar, they were ready, they were prepared. So they shall wash their hands, 30 verse 21. So they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not, that they die not. The wedding supper, Matthew 22, this man arrives in the presence of the Lord, a picture of not having on the Lord's imputed righteousness. He thought he'd get to heaven by keeping the golden rule, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, Matthew 8, or maybe Acts 2.28, maybe that 2.38, Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You can't get saved by following Acts 2.38, incidentally. In Acts 2.38, there are no Christians present. In Acts 2.38, there's no blood atonement. In Acts 2.38, it's in reference to the Jews, nobody else. That they die not, physical death, contrast that to spiritual, eternal death. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him, and to his seed throughout their generations. So as long as the Jews walked with Jehovah, he of course would walk with them. The moment they wouldn't walk with him, he would stop walking with them. This goes back to Israel's dilemma. What do they do? Since 70 AD, no temple, no priest system, no, uh, no animal sacrificial system. How do they get their sins forgiven? They reject the Messiah, the Lamb of God. They're in a bind, they're in a spin. Seed throughout their generations, a statute forever. Yes, but they have to walk with him. They have to believe in him. Look at verse 22. Moreover, the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, Five hundred shekels and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even two hundred and fifty shekels, and of sweet calamus, two hundred and fifty shekels, and of cassia, five hundred shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and heen, and heen is a gallon, incidentally, and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary. It shall be an holy anointing oil. So the attention to detail, once again, is remarkable. Nothing is left to chance. And apothecary is basically a chemist. It's a pharmacy. It's a very uh, responsible job. I think maybe back in the uh, 19th century or thereabouts, you could get your hands on uh, poison. And uh, women would use poison to clean, uh, to deal with uh, vermin. Uh, arsenic, that's the term I'm looking for, arsenic. Yeah. And arsenic was used very much in the Victorian era. A lot of women were prosecuted for poisoning their husbands using arsenic. But if you are a pharmacist, a apothecary, or if you are a chemist, if it's your responsibility to mix the medicines, it's a responsible job. You put too much of anything in, it's going to be damage, uh, damaging, and too little of the correct medicine will not be, uh, it won't help. It will fail, obviously. But you've got a breakdown here. Uh, concerning the apothecary and it's interesting because maybe two weeks ago I sat down to look at this and uh, try and work out what the Lord is wanting uh, 22 again moreover the Lord spake unto Moses the Lord spake unto Messiah the Messiah has the Holy Ghost uh, he has no limitations on the words of the Lord if you love me keep my words the Lord spake unto Moses saying Take thou also unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, five hundred shekels, five hundred shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even two hundred and fifty shekels, 
and of sweet calamus 250 shekels, and of cassia 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, the sanctuary, the sanctuary, and of oil olive, we would say uh, olive oil today, but here, oil olive, and hin, being a gallon, like I say, and thou shalt make it an oil of holy ointment, an ointment compound after the art, they say it's an art, careful art, skill, after the arts of the apothecary, it shall be an holy anointing oil. So let's break this down. God's recipe, therefore, for his special incense for the tabernacle is going to be 12 and a half pounds of pure, uh, 12 and a half pounds of pure myrrh, six and a quarter pounds of sweet cinnamon, six and a quarter pounds of sweet calamus, 12 and a half pounds of cassia. And again, a gallon is uh, in reference to the hin of the Oil olive, or as we would say, olive oil. Sweet spices, which I'll speak about in a few more minutes' time. Could you imagine being a priest back in the Old Testament and getting this wrong? There's been pharmacists over the years that have been prosecuted. Not recently, but going back probably to the 19th century, they made a mistake when they were doing the uh, prescriptions, messed it up, too much of this, too much of that, or too little, or too little of that, and their customers died. And as a result, the chemist, the pharmacist, found themselves being prosecuted, of course. 26. And thou shalt anoint the tabernacle of the congregation therewith, and the ark of the testimony, ark of the covenant, and the table, and all his vessels, his vessels, not only in reference to the Lord's tabernacle, utensils, altar, lampstand, menorah, so on and so forth, but in reference to the priest. He is responsible for this. Table, and all his vessels, and the candlestick, and his vessels, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all his vessels, with all his vessels, and the lava, and his foot. And thou shalt sanctify them, set them apart, make them holy, that they may be most holy, whatsoever, not whosoever, whatsoever, animal, or man, man or beast, if an animal was to come into contact with the sanctuary, stumble onto the sanctuary, the animal would become holy, but on top of that, the animal would be killed because it's approaching something which is holy. Whatsoever toucheth them shall be holy, and thou shalt anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them, that they may minister unto me in the priest's office, physical priesthood. Again, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, physical priesthood system, physical altar, physical animal sacrifices. The Apostle Paul would go into the temple, book of Acts, sacrifice an animal, shave his hair, take a vow unto the Lord. And one of my commentaries suggests that Paul fell from grace for doing that. I don't agree with that, but they believe that he fell from grace for doing that. Today, we are a, a peculiar people. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We don't bring physical animals to the Lord. God Almighty brought a physical animal to himself, being Jesus Christ, of course. 31, and thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be an holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generations. Your generations continue to do this throughout your generations. They try to continue this. Uh, Christ dies, 30 AD. The temple is ripped in two. The veil to the temple, I should say, is ripped in two. The high priests have a meltdown. What do we do? They put the veil back together again. And from 30 AD to 70 AD, that's 40 years, they continue the animal sacrificial system, but to no avail. Throughout your generations, upon man's flesh shall it not be poured. 
neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy, and it should be holy unto you. Don't counterfeit it. If you look at Christians today, charismatic Christians, they like to counterfeit the Holy Ghost. They call it the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Speaking in tongues, rolling around, uh, prophesying, visions. I saw heaven, I saw hell. The Lord spoke to me. Counterfeit. Dangerous counterfeits. And if you read what these people say or examine what they have revealed through books or DVDs or just through online materials, most of what they are revealing is found in the scripture. It's like out-of-body experiences upon death. And just last week after the service, we discussed this briefly. Somebody died, had an out-of-body experience. What do they see? Could it be their own mind? Could it be something inside of them? The brain is a very powerful tool. Generating an image, or could it be a made-up story? People say, I died, and I crossed over, I saw the light, and I was told to go back. People say, I died, I went to hell, it was awful. I couldn't get out. But when I read the Bible, I don't find those stories. Only Christ went to heaven and returned, of course. And here, upon man's flesh shall it not be poured, neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. Don't counterfeit it. Leave it as it is. If you tamper with it, the Lord will tamper with you. 33, and I'll close. Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, shall even be cut off from his people, executed. That's how serious the Lord took the role of the priest back in the Old Testament. And we began in verse 11, how the Lord spake unto Moses, didn't speak to anybody else, he spoke to Moses. Contrast that to the Lord Jesus Christ. God spoke to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Jews would say, we know this man is, we know his mother, we know his brothers and sisters, who does this man think he is? Didn't like it, you see, they kicked against it. Book of Numbers, they don't like the idea that Moses is receiving revelations from the Lord and his brother and sister, his own brother and sister, team up to challenge Moses. And the Lord comes down, punishes Miriam, chastises Aaron, Israel's first high priest. And for a period of time, nobody's going anywhere. So, chapter 30, uh, from verses 11 down to 33, very clear in reference to the incense, the type of incense the type of worship that the lord wants and if you have the lord you have peace you have joy you have something to hold on to i saw a video last night a very depressing video and it was to do with suicides and it said this or the video uh, it was a data video about uh, data uh, facts and figures very interesting and it's at the top three countries when it comes to suicides were interestingly lithuania mm. ukraine russia now, Lithuania, did the Russians take Lithuania mm. after World War II? Yeah. Okay, I don't know much about Lithuania. Uh, Ukraine, yeah, former... Germans had it during the war. Uh, Ukraine, former Russian state, and of course Russia, today communist or quasi-communist state. But you've got Darwinism, Russia, Darwinism from uh, Ukraine, Darwinism in Lithuania from 1945 when it got independence. I guess the Russians pulled out of Lithuania... 88, 89, when the yeah. war went down. But I thought, what has communism done for those three countries? Nothing at all. Suicides are sky high. And of course, Japan isn't far behind. But you've got the holy garments. His sons are holy when they wear their garments. They have to wash their hands and their feet, picturing uh, holiness, obviously. The only cross-reference for me, as I say, was Matthew 22, uh, concerning the man at the judgments of the lord and he's not wearing any kind of clothing and of course he has to answer for that so there's a picture of somebody who is self-righteous has no interest in 
putting on the Lord's uh, imputed righteousness. Also, the brass and altar uh, denotes our sins, the ashes of our sins in a spiritual sense. And, of course, Christ was lifted up for our sins. John chapter 12, and he draws all men unto him. The imagery is incredible. The atonement, the ransom, which we spent a bit of time on this morning, uh, and also from Matthew chapter 5, has nothing to do with paying for one's sins. In fact, go back to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, just a bit more light on Matthew chapter 5. Uh, it is tragic how the devil has been able to deceive so many people. Uh, Matthew 5 and also Exodus 30 are the proof texts that the Church of Rome go to to justify their uh, purgatory. But again, if you look at verse uh, 23 from Matthew 5, Therefore, if thou, if you, bring your gift to the altar, 24, there leave thy gift, your gift, before the altar, go thy way, go your way. Uh, 25, agree with thine adversary, agree with your adversary, whilst thou art, whilst thou are, or whilst you are in the way with him. And uh, 26, uh, thou, you, shalt by no means come out thence, till thou, till you have paid the uttermost farthing. There's no third party present. Did you see that? You have to do this yourself. There's no priest to help you out. There's no papist to perform a mass for you. This is between the Jews. Two Jewish people under the law, and the Jew who was in the wrong had to put the wrong right. Had to go back to his brother, could be physical or spiritual, doesn't matter, and put the wrong right. There's no third party present. So how people can read Matthew 5 and get purgatory, I do not know. I do not know how people can read Exodus chapter 30 and get purgatory, I do not know. Verily I say unto thee, I say unto you, not unto your priest. Verily I say unto you, thou shalt by no means come out thence, in the sense of a holding centre, not under the ground, but on the ground, on the earth. But again, this is figurative language. Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till, 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 thou, you, hast paid the uttermost farthing. Temple tax, basically, to be released, to enjoy physical salvation, Temple tax, income tax, if you will, not spiritual salvation, not everlasting life. You cannot save yourself under any dispensation. And one last time, only men over the age of 20 were responsible, uh, responsible for paying this on behalf of themselves and on behalf of their families. I'm going to close it there and wrap up chapter 30 next week. Amen. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse 15 again. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel, when they give an offering unto the Lord, to make an atonement for your souls. Whether you're rich or poor, it was all the same. And also some of my reference Bibles seem to suggest that this mention of a gera from verse 13 is to do not necessarily with money, but to do with weight. They say one gera is 11.2 grains. But from verse 16, and thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shalt appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls so it's financial it's money it's to do with one's temple tax a census tax it's to do with not receiving the plagues if you think about revelation if you add to the word if you take from the word God will add the plagues that are written in the book to such a person. So I believe it's financial, monetary, not just to do with a weight, an ingredients, or an ingredient, a recipe, so on and so forth. 
But the main point to uh, cast your eye over again would be verse 15. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. Rich or poor, it was the same. Half a shekel, so on and so forth. Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30. Look at verse 33. Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, shall even be cut off from his people. Keep your hand there and go to Galatians chapter 5. The term cut off is a Hebrew idiom meaning to put to death. Daniel says how the Messiah will be cut off, will be cut off, but not for himself, for the people like you and I. The term cut off is found multiple times in the Old Testament. It means death. It means death. And uh, from Galatians uh, chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, our Apostle, he would say, follow me as I follow the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, writing under grace, uh, would say the following from Galatians chapter 5. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, like verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord, that ye will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. Well, first of all, the Apostle Paul didn't know who the false teacher was, or who the false teachers were, denoting how the end of the uh, apostolic sign gifts were coming to an end. And when Paul would make such a statement, would write such a thing, it is 58 AD, around Acts 18, Acts 19, Acts 20, but keep reading on, look at verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offence of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off, which trouble you. In other words, if he was made aware who the false teachers were, the Judaizers basically going around, teaching had to keep the law in order to be justified, whoever they were, wherever they were, they were worthy of death. One more time, verse 12. I would, I would, I would, they were even cut off, which trouble you. That's the danger when it comes to false doctrine. Go back to the book of Exodus. It spreads like cancer, and once it gets a hold on you, it is fatal. 33 again, whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, in the context, a Gentile, a non-Jew, contrast that to Galatians chapter 5. Somebody going around, somebody going around, trying to... Attack, justification by faith through Christ alone. Like 90% of professing Christianity, Paul says, let him be cut off. But here, if somebody goes around in a context of Jew, uh, counterfeiting the ingredients of the Lord, like verse 31, 32, shall even be cut off from his people. But here, not only is it in reference to a Gentile, it's also in reference to apostate Jews, counterfeiting the, the, uh, the Lord's recipe the Lord's ingredients for his special incense. Look at verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stachy and onica and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Of each shall there be a like weight, and thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. Now it's weight. Now it's weight. And you've got three aspects to the Lord's incense, a special recipe. Stacky or stack, it can be pronounced, it can be pronounced both ways. Uh, galbanum, onica, 
But on top of that, frankincense. Frankincense. Of each shall there be a like weight, a balanced weight, and thou shalt make it a perfume. A perfume. You think of somebody's aftershave, you think of somebody's perfume. It smells nice, doesn't it? If it's good, of course. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of the apothecary. Like a chemist, like a pharmacist. And last week we discussed this. Tempered together, pure and holy. Pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation. Where I, where I, where I will meet with thee, it shall be unto you most holy. So one of the reasons why the priests would have to wash their hands and wash their feet would be basically they were entering the Lord's home. The Lord's furniture in his home was holy. If you think of midwives or gynecologists, they are very fastidious, very careful when they examine their female patients. If you think of surgeons, they will wash their hands several times, wear gloves before they operate, before they open up the patient. So therefore the Lord's furniture in his home is holy and sacred. Take your shoes off also before you enter. A couple of years ago, Patrick and I were invited to a nice Christian couple in London. Uh, had a nice property. And the first thing they said to both of us was, would you mind taking your shoes off? Before you come into our home, um, we took off our shoes. And uh, both the husband and wife had also taken off their shoes. It's their home. It's their prerogative. It's the same sort of a thing. Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Joshua, Take off your shoes. You're in the presence of the captain, captain of the Lord. So all of these ingredients, like uh, stacky or gabanum, frankincense, or even myrrh. In fact, myrrh can be used as a medicine. And if you mix it with wine, it can be ingested. The Apostle Paul would say to Timothy, take a little wine for thine often infirmities. There's no prohibition, incidentally, when it comes to alcohol consumption in the scriptures. You're told not to be drunk. You're told not to be intoxicated, but you're never told never to take alcohol per se. If Paul would tell Timothy to take a little wine, and I mean wine, for his often infirmities, then that is justification, with a small case J, to consume wine. But be careful, of course. Be very careful, because wine today is a lot stronger than it was in biblical times. Wine in the Bible was many times used as a medicine to alleviate the pain, of course. I will meet with thee. 36. It shall be unto you most holy. So the priest is linked to the tabernacle, obviously. The priest is linked to the furniture inside of the tabernacle. The furniture, the tabernacle, belong to the Lord. The priest is a servant of the Lord. The priest, if you will, is a type of a doctor, a gynecologist, a midwife. Scrub up, they say, before you enter into surgery. Scrub up, wash your hands. It's hard to think. Back in the 19th century, most operations were done without washing one's hands thousands perhaps millions of people died around the time of queen victoria or thereabouts and then eventually doctors became wise to the necessity of washing their hands of course back in leviticus the priest was told to do just that wash their hands but of course the gentiles are always hundreds sometimes thousands of years behind the bible look at 37 and as for the perfume which thou shalt make you shall not make yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Holy for the Lord. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. If you think of a good Christian prayer life. If you think of a good Christian witness. 
every time a good Christian or a faithful Christian, I should say, prays or speaks to the Lord or performs good works, it's a sweet smelling savour. And I'll discuss that more in a few moments. Look at 38. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. Don't counterfeit it. Don't use it or abuse it. Don't abuse grace. Galatians 5, 10, 11 and 12. Whoever he is that is troubling you, let him be cut off. Let him die. That's how serious false doctrine is. Keep your hand there and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you pray, if you share the gospel, if you deny yourself, pick up your cross, if you are a blessing to the brethren, if you have any kind of a ministry, and if you are consistent, and if you really pay a high price uh, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, he thinks very highly of you. This will be rewarded, of course, at the judgment seat. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 also picks up on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. Savour, taste, odour. Taste the Lord that he is good. Taste the Lord that he is good. A sweet smelling savour. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ. In them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the saver of death unto death, and to the other the saver of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? One more, go to Luke chapter 14. A Christian who is on fire for the Lord, and isn't overly pious, is a great blessing, can fire up other Christians. A Christian who is lukewarm, backslidden, is a disgrace, is a discouragement to the body of Christ. And the Lord speaks about vomiting such out of his mouth, picturing a severe chastisement at the judgment seat of Christ. Luke 14, Luke chapter 14, Luke 14, look at verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be seasoned? If you think of preparing for a meal, you need salt. Salt is in everything. It's in milk. It's in bread. It's in everything. You need salt to allow the meal to taste a decent. Too much salt will kill a meal. Too little salt will also kill a meal. Got to be balanced, you see. Paul says to be temperate in all things. Salt is good. Not too much, of course. Salt is good. But if the salt have lost his savour, his taste, his odour, and in the context, this is aimed at a Christian person or a saved party, dealing with their walks with the Lord, their relationships with the Lord, their state as far as the lord is concerned wherewith shall it be seasoned it is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill but men cast it out he that hath ears to hear let him hear go back to the book of exodus so the high priest walked a very fine line and if he was to stray from the service of the lord he would be executed today your bible teacher minister evangelist deacon elder Bishop, overseer, call him, what, call him what you will. Today, your man of God, the preacher that you know, or somebody who you think is a faithful teacher, has to walk a fine line, come into the correct balance of the gospel of the grace of God. 38, again, whosoever, in a context, priests, Old Testament, today we are spiritual priests. Whosoever shall make like unto that, counterfeit it, 
give the impression that it's a real thing, but of course it's not the real thing. John says they were of us, but they went out from us. Had they been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it may be manifest that they were none of us. First John chapter 2. It's a terrifying thought to start with the Lord, to be a part of a Christian community, have the doctrine straight, have your doctrine straight, have the basics down, and then somebody comes along and talks you out of your salvation, of your assurance. It's a terrifying thought. Whosoever shall make like unto that, to smell there too, that's the word, to smell there too, in the context, incense, but in the context, producing a carnal form of worship, a mechanical form of worship, like recite the Hail Mary, like recite the Lord's Prayer, like go to confession, put money in the plate, that kind of a thing. You're doing something to be seen to be holy, and that's not what the Lord wants. Whosoever shall make like unto that, to smell thereto, shall even be cut off from his people. So for the Old Testament, it was physical death. For apostasy, for the New Testament, it's a sin unto death, basically. A Christian who strays from the gospel of the grace of God, waters down Christ's finished work on the cross, puts in good works, or says you can lose your salvation, or says you're not saved by believing, on the Lord Jesus Christ, but you're saved by repenting. You're not saved by repenting. Jews can repent. Muslims can repent. Buddhists can repent. Religious people in general can repent. Repentance unto what? It has to be tied to something. It has to be connected to someone or something. Our salvation is connected to a blood atonement. And that was the whole point of the Old Testament. So that will be Exodus chapter 30. We began in verse 1 three weeks ago. Make an altar to burn incense upon... The altar is, of course, a picture of the Lord's cross to burn incense upon. He wasn't physically burnt. Only one, one or two occasions is fire connected with the Lord's atoning work. And that's to do with the second advent. The second advent. Sheet and wood, a wood shout, they'll make it. He would carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem. And we've already discussed that. The measurements were found in verse 2. Uh, for memory, I think it's two feet or one and a half feet by three feet. Overlay it with pure gold, verse 3. Gold is a picture of deity. Crown him, king of kings, lord of lords, god of gods. Staves of sheet and wood. Overlay them with gold, verse 5. Mercy seat, verse 6. We can have a mercy seat today. If you spend any time in prayer, there should be a part in your home where you pray. Matthew chapter 6, the Lord said, go into your closet. Go into your closet, close the door, and pray to your father who sees you in secret. Mercy seat, Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me with that. Lord, I'm going through a difficult situation. I've got sin in my life, perhaps, or my friends and family are unsaved, or what have you. You call on the Lord's name, and you ask for mercy, not judgment. Aaron is to burn the lamps. Morning, verse 7. Evening, verse 8. Pray day and night. Pray without ceasing. Verse 9. Offer no strange incense thereon. It can't be carnal. It has to be spiritual. It has to be grounded in biblical truths. Don't allow your old man, your old nature to get the better of you. What's in the year? Blood of the sin offering of atonements. Verse 10. Christ goes once into the Holy of Holies with his blood. Although some think he lost it all on the cross. That's possible. But his blood was somehow put in the Holy of Holies. Third heaven. Once in the year. Hebrews says once at the end of the world. To make an atonement at one month. Upon it, throughout your generations, it is most holy unto the Lord. Again, the Lord is holy, obviously, so his furniture will be holy. His home 
will be holy. The priests should be holy. We should be holy. Peter says to be holy because the Lord is holy. Concerning our state. Our state, not our standing. We are declared holy. We are declared righteous. We are declared saved, forgiven and washed in the blood. That is our standing based on our Lord's blood atonement. But our state, our daily relationship with the Lord can fluctuate, of course. Back to the atonement, the ransom money, verse 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. At best, like I said last week, it's to do with one's physical salvation, if you will, not one's eternal salvation. The Apostle Paul on one occasion, made that Apostle Peter, excuse me, the Apostle Peter on one occasion would see the Lord on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and he would say to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to come to you. And the Lord said to him, come to me. And he got out of the boat and he walked. Peter walked on the water. Could have been a few feet, we're not told. He sees that the waves are rough, stormy, and here's a seasoned fisherman. He starts to panic, cries out to the Lord. The Lord grabs him. That's physical salvation, not eternal salvation. But the rich and the poor, verse 15, will pay the same. No more, no less. It's all the same. Unlike today, uh, people's income tax can fluctuate. I think council tax in this country is based on one's property band, not one's income. Atonement money, verse 16, should be paid. And also in a memorial, as I mentioned last week, that it may be a memorial, middle part of verse 16, at least once a year, I would imagine, a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make to make an atonement for your souls. And uh, we began this broadcast speaking about the priests having to wash up, scrub up, before they went into the tabernacle to atone for the people's sins on behalf of the people. Also from 22, 23, 24 and 25, you've got additional information about the value of the furniture that makes up the tabernacle. Now for today, we are a spiritual priesthood. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But for the Old Testament, it was a physical building. Now we are looking for New Jerusalem. The mother of the church, if you will, the mother of the church, if you will, is New Jerusalem. It's not Mary. Mary would say she was a sinner. We are looking for New Jerusalem, a physical building, and we have a mansion in New Jerusalem, which has been built for us, maintained for us. But for the Old Testament, it was down to Israel to build a physical tabernacle and a physical temple. Aaron and his sons, Israel's high priest, biological sons would succeed him. A family affair. Aaron is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses is a type of God the Father. Aaron's sons are a type of the sons of God. John chapter 1. We become the sons of God through the new birth. First John chapter 3, we are the sons of God. In a spiritual sense, you understand, not a physical sense. But again, from verse 33, Whosoever compoundeth any like it, or whosoever putteth any of it upon a stranger, incense, the ingredients of the Lord, shall even be cut off from his people. Don't mix grace with works, works with grace. Lord said unto Moses, the Lord said unto Moses, take the... Sweet spices, stachy, arnica, galbanum, these sweet spices, with pure frankincense, with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a light weight. Keep it balanced. And down to verse 37. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, aimed at priests, incidentally, men, no women. And I made the case some weeks ago that all of the best inventors are all men. Hairdressers, chefs. Composers, 
writers. You may have a few women here and there, but for the most part, it's men. It's a man's world. God over Christ, Christ over the man, the man over the woman, the woman over the children. That's how the Lord does things, of course. As for the perfume which thou shalt make, the priest was a chemist, basically, in the Old Testament. You should not make to yourselves, according to, the command, uh, according to the composition thereof, don't abuse grace, don't preach the gospel as a living, don't abuse the gospel of the grace of God because you make good money out of it. Don't abuse it. Preach it because you believe it. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, you shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It's not for you. Share it. Share Jesus Christ with your community. Share it. Share him. Share the truth. Don't keep it to yourself. It should be unto thee holy for the Lord. And 38 one final time. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people, put to death for abusing the Lord's tabernacle, the Lord's furniture, the mercy seat, the incense, abusing the recipe. It was a special recipe for the priest and the priest alone to be responsible for. We are referred to as stewards, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we are also rewarded, Luke 19, concerning how faithful we were as stewards at the judgment seat of Christ. And for the Old Testament, it would result in physical death. If the priest would stray uh, from his responsibility, and for the Christian today, if he or she, he or she, not just men, if he or she strays and doesn't do what they should do concerning the gospel of the grace of God, they too may possibly risk the sin unto death, going back to Galatians chapter 5. So be very careful when it comes to sharing the gospel.